as we have mentioned before, it was not intentional, but this has kind of become the 1986 in in cinema podcast at this point. Um, when we covered Blue Velvet, we kind of realized 1986, not only great year for cinema and the movies at large, it's but such also a good mo- it's such a good year for movies. Aliens might not even crack my top 10. I haven't, I have to look at it. I'm just saying, this is how good it is. It's crazy. It is in retrospect. It is incredible. And it, it, I mean, there are the big hits. There's the top gun, the crocodile Dundee's, but looking at the list of the top 10 films, top gun, crocodile Dundee platoon is number three. And it just makes mm-hmm. me think, remember when they made movies for grownups and people actually went to the fucking movie theaters for these things. It's, it's, it's nice. Um, but not Although only was Karate that- Kid Part Two follows up on the <laughs> behind Platoon, but yes, sorry, not to undercut your point. I'm just as a funny aside. Yeah the uh, the year was not only a great year for film; it was also a great year for DGens at large, not only societal collapse wise, mm. but also in <laughs> in the um, you know with the crack epidemic kind of uh, yes. hitting its peak, um, but also in the sports world. In uh, 1983, the New York Metropolitans were the worst team in baseball with the worst offensive stats of every single team in professional baseball. The only thing that they were in second to last one on was getting hit by pitches. They had the most bases by people getting hit by pitches. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, New York Metropolitans were in a lot of trouble. What do they do? They retooled the franchise. They look towards the young. They got Keith Hernandez, um, you know, kind of a veteran to kind of lead them off and bring in, you know, some homegrown talent. Um, Actually, the steady hand. Yeah, absolutely. But um, not only did that mean homegrown talent, such as Daryl Strawberry, they brought up a young pitcher from the minors who was quite a sensation by the name of Doc Gooden. He was then 19 years old, a teenager. Worst team in baseball, how bad could it get? Little did they know the 1986 Miracle New York Metropolitans would go on to absolutely destroy both the National and American League in almost every single conceivable way, eventually beating the uh, the Red Sox in the World Series. Where was Doc Gooden that night when, <laughs> when the New York Mets won the World Series? Well, the way he says it is he was calling his dealer from the dugout and when they were having the parade the following morning, he woke up late in a crack house on Long Island, where I am from. Um, Not a single 86 Met is in Cooperstown. Not a single member of the 86 New York Metropolitan is in Cooperstown to this day, which is disgraceful. disgraceful. You know what I mean? I know like the Pete Rose thing is kind of uh controversial i think pete rose should be in the baseball hall of fame up in cooperstown but he is not um but the new york mets kind of plagued by their degen like god status at that point where they were just known for being crazy partiers on heavy drugs in the middle of the 1980s new york crime wave to match all crime waves you know they're hanging out in the hotels with your basket cases and what have well, you. Well, this was at hotels. the end of New York City being bag like like Baghdad, meaning like yeah, it, from before the mid 
basically 84 before that, you go to New York City, you are getting robbed. This is a, just a foregone conclusion. It was really like that up until around like and 19, also you're getting your dick sucked. And you're getting your dick sucked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're probably watching a dope movie and seeing a cool band. And um, you're seeing an amazing movie. You're seeing, yeah, you're hearing great music. You're getting blitzed out of your mind on whatever the fuck you want to get blitzed off. Mm-hmm. Whether it's booze nonstop or crack, which you're saying is a thing. Mm-hmm. And this is back. People are just smoking weed everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And littering. <laughs> yeah. And it was filthy. It was absolute filthy. Yeah, disgusting. Yeah. There were ninja turtles and and <laughs> with master splinters. <laughs> we're throwing <laughs> pizzas in the air and they're slicing it up in the air with their swords. And Eating ridiculously long, cheesy yeah. pizzas. You know what yeah. I'm saying? One time you called you called me uh the Paul Schrader of Pizza Pie one time. And <laughs> I thought that was the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> <laughs> a joke for four of you out there um yeah exactly <laughs> but it's a good one um so yeah doc Gooden, even though you know he did have his problems and you know um gone to a lot of legal troubles um he didn't have his problems the way you said it is like hitler has some points <laughs> yeah yeah he was he just following orders um <laughs> yeah. yeah um he actually when he left the New York Mets in 1994, he got incarcerated and ended up not being able to play the 1995 season for failing a bunch of drug tests, came back to the Major League Baseball and played for the New York Yankees in 1996, another miracle New York team. Like, I'm not a mm. Yankee fan, but that the 96 Yankees, you got Paul O'Neill, Bernie Williams, Derek Jeter's a rookie, Chuck Knobloch, you know. He threw three no-hitters that year, which is incredible, wow. you know, and they yeah. went on to win the first World Series since, like, 77, you know? Mm. Still not in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. So I live in a sleepy town called Bellport on Long Island, and there are two sides of Bellport. There's north of the tracks and south of the tracks. And south of the tracks, I live, like, just south of the tracks. Um, middle class to super upper class white neighborhood and north of the tracks is kind of redlining at its finest where it is just like legitimate like section eight housing bodegas bums crackheads all that shit good food good fried chicken and stuff uh but it is a really weird kind of neighborhood all of this is the same school district so i was going for a walk one morning and I saw a flyer on the north side of the track where I go buy my smokes and stuff. And Which year we're we talking? Like a month ago. Oh, like, okay. like a literal month ago. Recently, we had recently. this podcast. We had this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I DJ see a sign. Podcast. Yes. Across all platforms, DJ and Cinema. Um, Doc Gooden signing autographs <laughs> the next day. And I think, what the fuck is Doc Gooden doing in Belfort? So I obviously, I went up there one fine Saturday morning to get him to autograph my Doc Gooden jersey and my Mets hat. I was really excited, but I also did which go up there. Which is not all you did, which is not all you it's did. It's not all I did. That's what I was getting to. I went up there with a field recorder, my little microphone, <laughs> and I said, hey, Doc Gooden, how's it going? You know, huge Met fan, recovering drug addict. 
Like, get it? How did you like when you heard the crack of the bat? <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, he he liked hearing the, the recovery thing. He was kind of like, yeah, you know, I call my sponsor every day. Like, real started talking, like, recovery to me. I was like, wow, this guy's yeah. nuts. And I was like, hey, shot in the dark here, but I got this podcast and we love the year 1986. It comes up all the time. And Brandon we knows. We literally love you. We call you the patron athlete saint of our podcast, Doc Gooden. We really do. Yeah. Doc Gooden, Daryl Strawberry, Keith Hernandez, yeah. you're the patron mm. saints of this podcast, you know? And he probably started looking at me like I was a fucking psychopath because I'm in like North Bellport, Bellport, where people are actively smoking crack outside this place. You know what I mean? And here comes this weird white guy with a microphone. Is, to- right? Being a DJ, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> Embrace and, the culture. Yeah. <laughs> and I got, I got my little iPhone notes file open where I was going to yeah. say my whole intro and I was going to ask him to do it for the show. Mm-hmm. And I offered him $50 and he just said, no, but nice meeting you and shook my hand. And I was like about to be like, come on, man, come on. You know, like, yeah. like this would mean the world to us. And he said, absolutely not. What are you talking about? And I told him I'm talking about D gen cinema a podcast for fucked up movie lovers where two degenerates analyze film through the lens of the vices, addictions and flaws that they share with their dysfunctional characters, discussing films centered around cinematic figures who are driven by addiction obsession and compulsion often veering into self-loathing and yes we are the degen as in degenerate podcast but today we're talking 1986's the fly which might be the most like degenerative movie in terms of literally falling apart <laughs> kind of like it's the fly stars um Gold, uh, Jeff Goldblum, obviously, who is oddly strikingly handsome. Always has been. And he has these odd features, which they really play up in this movie. And the whole movie's about him being, but he's trying to be nebbish at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like that's, you know, you mentioned uh, before we got on air. <laughs> He's a fucking nerd who just stays home and does science all day and then goes out twice a year. And when he does, he just takes wild swings at beautiful women (laughs) with crazy opening lines. His two moves are, I have great coffee at home. And then when he gets them home, he shows them that he knows how to play piano really well. (laughs) And when I became an adult, I am a notoriously frugal person. Like I am a cheap person. And I thought like getting home and everything There are three essentials to life that if you don't cheap out on, your quality of life will greatly increase by just small amounts. One of them is toilet paper. Always spend the extra three or four bucks. Number two, laundry detergent. I I think toilet paper doesn't even need to be mentioned. It's so much to me. Like it, it, it is a given. And to the point, but I always, you know, when during COVID toilet paper, and we're not gonna talk about COVID, but you know what? Like people had that issue with toilet paper. Mm hmm. My house was so stacked with toilet paper, I was no problem because I always make sure with the top premium shit, and I never get too soft because then it's too soft. It's all flaky or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And you lose always, it in your ass. It's just yeah, that you have like a full, you know, tissue and a half just sitting in your ass. It's mm-hmm. too flaky. Mm-hmm. But 
always have it soft, always has nice. And I always in my own house, not everyone would agree with this. I have it on display, not all of it, but some of it. So that when people are there, I want them to know, Hey, use as much as you want. I don't care. Yeah. Toilet paper. I don't let it, let it go. I, I never want to hear someone say, Brandon, you have more toilet paper. What the fuck? Like, yeah. like of course you I ran just, out of toilet no. paper. You got shit I want, on your ass. <laughs> Cause I'm thinking of, I'm just thinking of chicks. I want chicks to go in there. And if they want to like unspool a whole fucking roll, not mm-hmm. even to wipe their pussy, just to mm-hmm. throw away in the trash just because they can. Yeah. I am the fucking Rick James of toilet paper. Let it fly. Let it go. It's just all over. <laughs> all right. So we're in agreement on my number one in my role. Yes. My number three. Uh, number two is laundry detergent. I always go the extra mm. mile. I always go the extra mile. I buy the little beads, like those things that you put in mm. beforehand. Just yeah, yeah. makes my day better. People tell me I smell nice if they get close mm-hmm. to me. And I'm like, thanks, my laundry detergent. And number three was coffee. I always indulge in really nice coffee. I grind it myself every day. You know, I wake up, I hit this little thing. I have a nice machine. So <laughs> hearing this guy be like, want to come over? I got this sick coffee machine. You know, like, I'm like, oh boy, I hope I don't come off as this in public. You know? Well, it's a 35-year-old movie too. I don't know how people spoke about that back then. Like how often did people then in the 80s have nice coffee makers? I honestly have no idea. No, neither do I. Neither do I. When I think I'm of- assuming the average person just had coffee. Yeah. Because he said, oh, I got one of those actual legit things. It's got the eagle on top and everything. Yeah. <laughs> I got the whole jealous. movie is about this guy who's spitting that. And then he is going to just devolve. Yeah. Literal degeneration of the body but, and mind. But like, yeah, but the movie starts in almost rom, not almost, it starts flat out rom com Yeah. And had you just... This was a major release. Mm. Mm-hmm. How many people before this had seen Videodrome? I bet the average person who'd seen it in theater had no idea what the fuck a Videodrome was or anything. Yeah, Videodrome, this is an interesting point in David Cronenberg's career. And we had covered a David Cronenberg movie on this show for our first ever released episode. We did Crash, which was 96. Um, so this was 10 years earlier. And... During that episode, you and I both said Crash is kind of the great divide between where Cronenberg was and what he grew up kind of being known for and what he almost turned into where he, unlike a lot of these poor bastards, which kind of sucked, the uh, Wes Cravens of the world, the John Carpenters of the world, who I adore and think are fantastic filmmakers, but everyone just you know studios especially kept saying yeah we're not going to give you money unless you make a fucking Wes Craven movie like you know we're not going to give you money unless you make a horror movie and David Cronenberg had this bizarre turn uh and granted his work was always like more subversive you know um Mm -hmm. like he's Wes Craven meets David Lynch or something almost in a lot of ways yeah um the Venn it's more like a Venn diagram with that Yes, mm-hmm. where, where it's overlapping, for sure. Yeah, but he, um, you know, he had the string of really cheap 
Canadian funded, you know, they're government funded. Um, I was going to interject with that's honestly why, because Canada just kept gave, giving him money because he was the greatest. Well, he is the greatest Canadian filmmaker of all time. And then they were like, what the fuck? And this was back when Canada was funding movies like that. Yeah. So you look at now, and I'm going to get super geeky to you. Um, the native filmmaker, Jeff Burnaby, he's the guy who did Rhymes with Young, Drives with Young Girls. Uh, Rhymes of Young Ghouls, sorry, I misspoke, and um, Blood Quantum, which were almost entirely Native casts, and they were from the Native perspective. Mm. And he did these fantastic films. Now, he's not to the, he was never to this type of level. Mm -hmm. And I don't think somebody should have handed him a Marvel franchise by any means, but he should have been making a smile. Sure. You no, know, he, he somebody like he should have been making something that was like like wide release, but he uh, unfortunately died of cancer. But mm. I um I believe it was cancer. It doesn't matter. But he is dead, <laughs> and he's not coming back. Unlike the movies. And but I feel that person in the eighties, Canadian grants, Canadian the people who behind the the giving you Canadian grants, they just yeah, yeah. go. Here you go. Here's three million dollars. Go make something yeah. with three million dollars. Forty years, you know, forty years ago is, you know, thirty million dollars now. Sure, sure. And Cronenberg was just like, just as long as you give me back then, what was the budget for Fly? It had to be eight million. Like it can't be. I don't know. I, I'm just off the top of my head. Of course. Well, the Fly, the the Fly's budget was nine million. So like nine to fifteen See? apparently, because there were a lot of reshoots. But um, yeah. the very early stuff, the shivers rabid scanners error which are yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and the brood but scanners kind of, is where scanners is when you like scanners arrive videodrome this the brood too i mean the brood had um mm -hmm. oh my god what's the name of that actor he's fucking the best he's in that ken russell movie the devils fuck he's like a classic british oliver reed um <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 but uh reitman apparently like uh, not Reitman. I'm sorry. I'll get to Reitman. Um, Cronenberg apparently like took a bus to New York City and like saw movies in the 70s in New York and was like, this is where it's at. But we don't have this in Toronto and mm -hmm. went back to his college and he was um, going to school with Ivan Reitman, you know, director of fucking Ghostbusters, you know, like mm -hmm. huge fucking deal, major Hollywood guy. And Reitman and him started like an LLC production company that made them eligible for the rights to grants. So that's how stripes got funded. That's how mm. um, a lot of these movies ended up getting funded. And there was a huge, huge outcry, bro. Like, no, well, there was also a huge with Ivan Reitman being in comedy. So back then they had the second city in Toronto. Oh God. And the second yeah. city in Toronto was burgeoning like the second city in Chicago, which became the most famous, but this is the John candies and the everything's and this yeah. is SCTVs. Rick Moranis is uh, yeah, yeah. Levy. I would argue yeah, that Eugene that Levy. cast, um, with the exception of the guys who made it to SNL over in Chicago, the, uh, hmm. Ackroyd, Belushi, Bill Murray's of the world is equally as infamous long term. But um, when Rabbit and Shivers got released and they ended with this funded by the Canadian government thing, you can look up a lot of fun tabloids from that time where citizens were writing in why is my government paying for this trash? You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, 
what you also uh you would probably not know this so in canada they have a law i forget what the law is specifically but it, it pertains to the radio which back then the radio was king and television that mm-hmm. everything that you broadcast you have to have 30 percent canadian content oh interesting legally, legally you wow. have to you get shut down so then then there was like well we have to make this content <laughs> yeah yeah and this is how you know and shout out to my dad i'll just bring it up quick and he's mm-hmm. a radio dj uh but he was a detroit radio dj but actually broadcasting out of windsor which is the bordering city and he had to do a canadian so he had to like fucking come up with canadian content and sure. that's how uh that's how rush came across came oh. that he and he found rush and this is we're not going to get into it i know i know no, but i'm a huge no, rush yeah, fan yeah yeah, yeah, yeah my, my best friend is canadian um when i was in third grade his stepfather who was canadian picked us up and was like we're going to a math fair. It was like a Sunday. I was like, a fucking math fair? What the fuck? And he took us to Nassau Coliseum to see Rush on the Roll the Bones tour and like Primus opened. And my life was instantly changed. I, yeah, for the rest of my life, had a 15 piece drum set in like whatever basement I lived in where I would mm-hmm. just go down there. I still do like once a week and just rip a Tom Sawyer, you know? So, yeah. My, my, my point is, uh, and anybody listening, I know that I, I I said like a hot button thing for Andy. I could get him going for fuck. We could we could turn oh boy. this. It was just, oh this boy. was just turned into the rush cast really Wait, quick. We could, you want to start um, the rush cast? Yeah. Wait, are we talking about rush? <laughs> yeah. D rush cinema. D rush um, cinema. The point. My point is though, this was just back when they were just trying to find good Canadian content, and they were there was a market for okay, we'll just give you money to make good Canadian content. Of course, of course, of course. And Cronenberg. They found them. I don't know mm-hmm. how they found them, but whoever found them, and they were letting them do weird, off the wall shit. Well, and I'll the, get into this. is a very Toronto movie. I'll yeah, get to the, that later. But yeah, uh, the first three films I made that Rabbit, The Brood, Shivers, Scanners. Those movies mm-hmm. are very, very explicit in when they show the gore, and it's very visceral stuff. It's. Mm. Um, equally as Sam Raimi gross as it is uh, Tietzo the Iron Man and and Eraserhead, mm. like disturbing. Like they could run at a midnight movie, but they could also play at an art house circuit kind of things. And he had this weird path where Hollywood did come knocking for a little while and he got movies like The Dark Half. Oh, not The Dark Half. Um, oh my God, that Stephen King movie with Christopher Walken, The Dead Zone. Right, Dead Zone, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That's right. Yeah. Which was a major Hollywood film, like when Stephen yeah. King was like the king of like adaptations. There was two a year, um, and then I, off, I mean, he still is. He still is. Yeah, yeah. Off, <laughs> They're off still the, churning out Stephen King shit. By the way, yeah. shout out Stephen King. The art of writing. If you if you are anyway, if you are into the artistic process at all check out Stephen King's on writing. Sorry, I misspoke. Yeah. Stephen King's on writing is a must read. And his uh, kind of follow up to that, that dance macabre. If you're into like genre fiction and stuff, it's, I never they're, read it. They're must reads. If you're just interested mm. in storytelling. Yeah. In, in yep. general. Um, he has the classic thing that I used to put on post-its in front of me, no matter what artistic thing I was doing, where he says the first step to being a good writer, write. You know, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, 
for a little while before we did the- literally anything. Yeah, yeah. Just get it on paper. And when we yeah. first started doing the podcast, I had a note that said the first step to getting this podcast off the ground, record, mm-hmm. like do it, you know, draw whatever I'm doing. Um, so when the dead zone came out, less subversive, but still had that weird Cronenberg kind of je ne sais quoi. Am I saying that correctly? Yes. Uh, that I don't know what but they were trying. I don't like how they were trying to be political and whatever. <laughs> oh, I love Martin Sheen at the end of that movie. He's so good. Um, but regardless, now he has the faith of the studios and they say, how about you do something for yourself? And he says, okay, I got this idea. And he makes video drone, which we will eventually cover on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not financially. This was almost a video drone episode this is almost a video drone podcast <laughs> the whole podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> was be was about this be, we were gonna do a whole podcast on debbie harry putting on a cigarette on her fucking tit yeah um eventually we'll get to record it by the way Man girls Re- if you ever want to impress me slide in the dms of a video yeah. of you putting a cigarette doesn't have to be on your tit anywhere putting a cigarette out on you anywhere in your body mm-hmm. i'm in I'm, I'm in. in. I'm sold. I, I, it's a leaves a terrible scar and I love it. I'm in. <laughs> um, two things that greatly shaped my sexual identity were seeing that very young and Michelle Pfeiffer and Batman returns just still kind of like choke me kind of vibes. Uh, I love mm-hmm. it. Um, but video drone was the first, um, Cronenberg movie that wasn't financially successful, which is kind of hard to believe. Every single movie he had made up until this point, no matter how fucked up and weird they were, they churned a profit. And say what you will, if, whether you enjoy a David Cronenberg movie or not, I guarantee if you watch one in full, you will have something in your brain response. about that movie. You will respond yeah. to it positively, negatively. Mm-hmm. He will get something out of you. Your synapses will be firing. Yes. You might not like what you're seeing, you know? Hmm. Um, so he's kind of in this, this slump, you know, in about 1985, and he doesn't know what to do. And then he gets handed a script. Do you know who handed David Cronenberg the script to the fly, Brandon? I do not. One Mr. Mel Brooks. <laughs> I was expecting. Shout out to Mel Brooks, though. Do you know what else Mel Brooks produced around this time? I do not. He produced. I mean, Spaceballs came Man. out a year later, but okay. yeah. But he was secretly funding these fucking movies. He mm, was secretly. Because he had a ton of money at this point. A yeah. ton of money, especially the residuals from the sitcom shit and the, the mm. stuff he did from TV in the 60s that was still airing, that syndication money. Um. Yeah. He, he saw Racerhead and went and found David Lynch, and that's how The Elephant Man got made, um, which is neat. Um, you know, he uh, Holy Mountain, partially funded by Mel Brooks. Like Mel Brooks and The Beatles. It's, it's insane. Um, yeah. So Mel Brooks hands him the script, and it's crazy, but much like David Lynch, like – if Mel Brooks didn't come and say, I have faith in you kid. If a Hollywood power player didn't come and say like, I have faith in this weird fucking, I, I don't even want to say sex obsessed Canadian, like, cause it's not even sex that he's obsessed with. No, it's, it's not. Yeah. It, it's psychosexual responses. Really? Um, yeah. It's, it's running tangentially alongside it. 
yeah, meaning it's, that it's a human. He's talking about again is in in the mission statement for our podcast. It's he's just showing you sex because it's part of the human compulsion. Yeah, showing people who are compelled to do. And this movie's about. Sorry to speak. Sorry to interject here so long, but no. Goldblum and Gina Davis. Goldblum is compelled because he's like, I want to change the world with science, mm-hmm. and Gina Davis is like, I want to be a Pulitzer, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, like I want to do anything for this. Not only any anything for the scoop. Like I want to be on the. I want to be on magazine covers for what I'm doing in journalism. Yeah, I want to be Walter Cronkite or whatever. Even though she's horrible journalist, yeah, she's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> She's pretty. Hey, face, did you get though. that done? Oh no, it's too busy sucking gold cock. Sorry, I, yeah. forgot, I totally forgot. And then like Goldblum, they're like the investors are like, "Hey, can I see like where you're along with that?" Oh, I was fucking tapping Gina Davis' ass. I forgot yeah. all about it. You don't want to know about the other baboon. Sorry about the baboon <laughs> yeah. you bought me. So, yeah, yeah, that's what I love. This is like they're like we keep giving you baboons. <laughs> You specifically ask for baboons. When when we call them monkeys, you correct everyone and say, no, 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 it's a baboon. Shout out to the baboon actor in this thing. There's a point where there's a little fly going around his face and the baboon is killing it. Killing it. Adding it. The way he runs out and gives Goldblum that hug, like I felt that. Um and they'll te- tear your fucking face off. Oh, they're rabid, right? They're fucking mad. Dude, they're fucking insane. Yeah. I'd mu- I'm not even kidding. I'd much rather act alongside a tiger than a baboon. I'm not even fucking kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's like, hey, let's have this tiger. I'm like, all right. Like, I don't love it. I'm like, but I feel safe. I, I, I don't feel safe with either, but I'd rather have a tiger. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's like, you want to fuck a girl with HIV or Pepsi, and I'm like, I, I well, I don't yeah. love either option. Gonorrhea, uh, chlamydia. What do you want, kid? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about an orangutan? Um, <laughs> but um, like what what you were saying, if this was a different movie, the trailer would be one of those. She was an up and coming, you know, hard nosed mm-hmm. journalist, and he was a scientist who wanted to change the world. And you know, oh, this movie is 100%. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She is a beautiful, she is a beautiful award winning journalist who only wants a scoop. He is a life changing, once a generation scientist. Both of them meet sparks fly, sparks fly. <laughs> like one, the emphasis one, fly. One problem her ex boyfriend, and then it's like that fucking yeah. guy, you know, yeah, the beard. <laughs> Was, yeah, John Getz. John Getz. Shout out John Getz. One of the yeah, greats. John Getz. Yeah. Oh, the they, they literally have John Getz in his office. He's supposed to be her. Her. He, not supposed to. He is her superior at the office, but also her ex. She go, She goes. I have this written down. She says, "I'm finally on to something big." And he goes, "What? His cock?" Yeah, HR is like, uh, excuse me, Mr. Guest. This is this is 1986, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody who watched that in 1986 goes, I can't believe you said that. They're like, ooh, good zing. Yeah, HR calls him in. Yeah, we have in your file, you asked her to smoke your pole. You asked her to polish your hog. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. yeah. Um, But this film, again centers around this romantic relationship plays out like a meet cute. We've talked about body horror on the podcast before last week we did our from beyond episode. 
And we were mm-hmm. talking about how body horror is kind of like that, like splatter horror. It's kind of, it is intentionally eliciting the most extreme reactions from its viscera and from its gore. And from beyond does it in a way to kind of like setting your head. Oh, the goo, the whatever you want to, you want goo, you want to finish. You want to just like, mm-hmm. let it go, let it fly. Yeah. And, and from beyond does it in a way to like elevate the actual material, you know, where without that, it would be this kind of silly melodramatic thing. And then the goo and the grossness kind of makes it, um, and the tits really, yeah, it's so sexually explicit from beyond horniest movie. I think we're ever going to do on this podcast. Um, as opposed to the fly, which is a horny movie, but the sex is fucking gross. Like, mm-hmm. uh, Gene Davis is hot. Jeff Goldblum's really hot. And they're so sweaty and like not good looking during their love scenes, but without the grossness and without the genre stuff and the extreme metaphor of this person, not only falling ill, but turning into a fucking monster whose skin is falling off and losing all of his humanity. The premise of this movie is this handsome professional couple. They fall in love. One of them gets sick. The other one has to sit around and watch as the other one gets sick to the point of wanting to kill himself. And then she is sick in his euthanasia. And the sickly one pushes the lover away. Yeah. Tries to. Tries to but she's drawn back because of her actual care for him and because they have this uh, soon to be child. Right. Well, even if you take that, yes, but that's like at the end of it, even if you take that out of the equation, this movie is in a hilarious way. The, the, the meme out there now I can change him. Sure. Or I can change her. They, or whatever, who, who whatever. I can change him. I can change her. Sure. That's a, you know, popular meme. This sure. is flat out. Gina Davis. Jeff Goldblum saying, I am turning into an insect and I'm going to be disgusting and I might even really harm you. Mm-hmm. And she says, okay, you're right. We should take about three to four days off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fucking madness. When they don't talk for a while, how long do you think that is? That's not months. I, I not, think like, he says, not, like, I haven't seen you in like 14 days at one point. And I feel that's like it's when, like, yeah, I was going to say, guess two weeks. Yeah, it's about two weeks. And then <laughs> and then she comes back and he's like, I'm losing all my teeth. You want to videotape how I eat? And it's him <laughs> puking on his fucking food. Actually, I this is how I this is how I picture you eating, by the way. Not puking, sorry, but just like digesting this fucking sugary shit and just like mm-hmm. get me up, let's go shit. Mm-hmm. You're always like you're always consuming these insane energy drinks. Mm-hmm. Basically, what he does for sugary entomins, horse shit, fat like junk food, that's you with your energy drinks with with my uh my five hour energies my b12 shots and my giant bowls of pasta that i eat throughout every not, single not even day the pasta, but it's just being like the one what was the one we we haven't even released it but we said it on air in the podcast <laughs> you were like oh i have this to wake up and it was like this fucking goddamn gas station horse mm-hmm. fucking <laughs> like intended for horses. Oh, we were recording train spotting. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, you're, you're joking, right? You're like, 
no, I'm not joking. I'm like, what, you have this in the morning to start your day? Go, yeah, that's why I roll out of bed. I leave it beside my bed. I crack it. I, that's what gets my day going. You go, oh, it gives me a jolt. I'm like, holy fuck. Yeah. I have an alarm to wake up to drink it. And then I have a 15 minute snooze where I kind of yeah. fall back asleep. And then I wake up and I'm like, like, let's go. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. I kind of, maybe I'm turning into a brundle fly. Maybe I'm a. <laughs> Sandstone fly or Bombay fly or something along those lines. Okay, we're we're getting no, I, to uh, I, I gotta the say point here. If 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 the plot of this film, like I just read out loud, handsome couple falls in love, one gets sick, eventually leading to him having to be euthanized by the other one. That sounds like a fucking Lars Van Trier movie. That sounds like Breaking the Waves. That <laughs> sounds like Dancer in the Dark. That is so sad and. The suicide at the end, she doesn't want to do it. He puts the gun as the fucking fly <laughs> monster up until his fucking head and asks her to kill himself. That is straight out of and like. She still says, I can't do it. And two <laughs> seconds later, she blasts the father him. of my child. <laughs> that is so fucking sad. But we're almost distracted by the grossness and the visceral gnarliness that we're seeing. And this movie is gnarly. We'll get into how gnarly it is in a couple seconds. Um, we're kind of distracted by this sadness. I don't think it gets overlooked though. Like you watch this film today. We were both talking about how uh, this used to be like really kind of like God tier perfect movie. And now we've seen it so much. Um, do you still feel the emotional weight from those sequences and and from this this deterioration of no, this I, honestly, I, honestly, it plays out far more. The the melodrama is far more prevalent now when I rewatch it, mm -hmm. and that's not to undercut anything. Sure. Hey guys, you want to slap masterpiece on this? Slap fucking masterpiece on this. I would never, mm -hmm. I would never debate you. I love this. I truly love this movie for many years, but now the melodrama, I just see it because like the. The grossness, because I've seen it so many times, I guess maybe I'm desensitized to it. Mm -hmm. and not grossness in general, just this specific movie. Like, for fuck's sakes, I used to see this movie on cable all the time when I was a yeah. kid. I mean, yeah. like a kid. Like eight years old, I'm watching this fucking movie. And yeah. when I would watch this, I would just be like, oh, isn't that oh, It would just be the grossness. And then in my teenage years... It was like, oh, I felt sorry for Gina Davis. And then as I've grown as an adult, I've dealt with enough unhinged women. I'm like, <laughs> Gina Davis, you fucked up broad. Get together, broad. Like, mm -hmm. stop it. What are you doing? <laughs> he's he's clearly damaged. And had he not literally turned into the fly, he would have turned into had the teleportation device worked and it was fine, it went off without a hitch. Mm -hmm. He would just turn into a grade A asshole. And he would have been abusive and neglecting and whatever. So that's all that that's all this is. This is and Cronenberg so wonderfully melds the two for his body horror shit that he's just always wanted to tell B movie body horror. Mm -hmm. But he does it through what makes it resonate, and that is it was released in nineteen eighty six. So what's the math on this? Thirty what's the 37 math? Thirty seven years. Thirty seven years. Yeah, thirty seven yeah. years ago. 37 years later, anything past 20 years, you're still talking about it. It's fucking mm -hmm. obscene. Yeah. It's kind of incredible. And his ability to both be extremely nuanced 
as well as being so on the nose at the same time is kind of his giant masterstroke and one of like the biggest flexes ever where he's capable of being like telling this very compelling story that's hiding behind the mask of this brutal body horror movie, but also able to do it in like a kind of nuanced way where I don't know. It, it, it doesn't hit well, simultaneously, you simultaneously overt and nuanced. I don't, I don't know. I'm lacking the word here. Yeah. It subverts both those I things. Guess I guess I, mean, I sound like a most pretentious piece of shit, and yeah. I apologize for anybody. What we're here for that is art. Yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is art. That is art. Yeah, David Cronenberg, a true artist. Artist. I was pretty amazed when this movie ends and it cuts to black, kind of almost unceremoniously after the you know assisted suicide of uh, her loved one who is uh the father of the child that is in her belly um it cuts right to black and before the credits come up the first thing it says is visual effects by chris wallace that's the first fucking credit before it says directed by david cronenberg starring letting you know starring yes yes because i mean as great as a lot of this is as great as the I think the acting is great in this thing. By the way, Goldblum couldn't be more committed. No. It's wild how committed he is. He starts the movie with these wild bug eyes. Mm. Even though he is kind of buggy-eyed, but he's playing up his jitteriness. He takes it to the nth degree, and his eyes are – when they meet at that – what is that? Like, it's just a general... It's like a journalist gala or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, a gala yeah. is a good word for it. Mm-hmm. And his eyes are literally bulging out of his face because he's trying to look like a fly. Yeah, I never even thought about that. And but he he's, does look his, like his jittery, his... Hey, I'm, I'm Jeff Goldman, like, which he is in his later years, he toned it down and he's more, like, zaddy, sexy now. I get it. Or he was yeah. 10 years ago. Now he's probably just, like, grandpa. But... He was playing, he was just playing into that, and then he fucking fully committed to turning into a fly camera, which yeah, is like crazy. 11 hours in the and he was a famous, chair. he was a famous actor, yeah. At this point, he wasn't. Um, Goldblum's career is kind of incredible. Well, he had done work. His- I mean, I mean, he was in, um. he was in work, yeah. Invasion, of the, body Sna- Invasion of the Body Snatchers was, was eight years earlier. Yeah, but he didn't have like a major, major part in that. He was um he was the rapist in Death Wish, freak number that's one. Right, that's I right. believe he's yeah, credited. Yeah, yeah. Nineteen seventy four. Yeah. Same year he was in California Split, my friend. Um yep. <laughs> Nashville the next year. Annie Hall. Which he had his, a, he had like a part in Nashville, like a real part in Nashville. He did. I think his biggest work before this uh was he's got a prevalent part in the big chill and the right stuff, which were two kind of mm. huge movies. Yeah. And in, in like 83, um, but he wasn't like a superstar. And I really do think that this movie, I mean, a superstar, but he was, yeah, he's done a lot of shit. Okay. He's, he, he was propelled into superstar kind of status though. After this, a star with, making role, star making role. Absolutely. Um, 
And the story, the special effects were so groundbreaking for a, especially, so the eighties, you know, they loved doing these types of gooey, insane, practical effects movies. Mm -hmm. But this was a mainstream. This wasn't return. Return of the living dead. Didn't do the numbers that the fly did. No, the fly brought from in like, beyond didn't do the fly numbers. You know, <laughs> no, this movie brought in bank like it brought in like forty million dollars at the box office in 1986, which is like on a nine million dollar budget, which is just absolutely astronomical, especially considering how fucking gross these special effects are. And um, what's his name? Chris Wallace, his career is fucking sick, man. Mm -hmm. He did the face melting sequence in Raiders of the Lost Ark. He did Return of the Jedi, the Rancor monster. Mm. He did Gremlins. And what year's Gremlins? uh, Gremlins was 84. Okay. But he was the creator of the Gremlin. He did the special, the creature effects and yeah. the, the mold cast for the Gremlin. Um, but much like a lot of special effects artists, you know, with uh, Jurassic Park in what was that, 1992, 1993? Oh, was that 92 um, or 93? Fuck it. It was 93. It was yeah. 93. Yeah. Um, but no, it's like 1990 Arachnophobia, 91 Naked Lunch, 91. The Curse 3, and then he didn't work until the 2000s. Why he was just printing money and just counting his money, I guess? I'm thinking it's very similar to guys like Stan Winston, like with that kind of famous quote when he did all the animatronics for Jurassic Park, Mm -hmm. and then he saw the finished movie with those visual effects from the this ilm computer imagery and he said my career is now extinct like the dinosaurs he had something Mm -hmm. along those lines that he said um and you kind of see that in this guy's career but the evolution of the brundlefly design is it goes from being weird sores on a human being to something underneath him is coming out to just so non-human the sequence towards the end where the fly head breaks out of his head and like you know the head cracks open and and the fucking fly like penetrates out it's american werewolf shit it, it and it's done like american werewolf had the stop motion like that that Mm -hmm. rick baker kind of like stop motion stuff this looks like it was just like done with puppets. And if there's something, I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast yet, but there's a thing in cinema. It's one of my favorite things of all time. It's called a wet puppet. And when you get a puppet and you spritz it down with KY jelly and you photograph it doing things, it's kind of cinema at its finest for me, you know, uh, your ghoulies of the world, your your critters, 
of the world. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, a yeah. little wet puppet, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like just like a yeah. gross, sopping wet yeah. piece of latex that's been spritzed down Oozy. with KY jelly. It's it's just instantly so fucking sick. Um, but it, it really is like the star of the show. And again, we, we kind of alluded to it before, but for a film with subject matter, this subversive, especially to be coming out in the mid eighties and the, as much as David Cronenberg says it wasn't intentional, but the allusion to HIV that this film presents at that very specific point you mean in time, full blown AIDS, but yes, full blown AIDS. The, <laughs> Is it can the we mid age jokes on they're, this? They're not podcast? talking HIV. They're just talking about literal AIDS. Yeah, the my partner has this thing. He's trying to have me stay away from him because he doesn't want me to have it. And I want to be there to support him in his not downfall, but in his darkest during his demise. Yeah. 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 And then, oh, my God, I have a child with him because I let him penetrate me. What if my kid has it? What if I have it? Um, and I never looked at it, um, the exact ratio, but what do you think is the amount of people who contracted AIDS on a pullout couch bed? Because, uh, it's, <laughs> it's just hilarious. It's hilarious that he, that's his bed. Mm-hmm. And it is funny, just as an aside, how many eighties movies that it is just, that's just the bed. And there's so many times that I've watched these now and I go, Wait, was that common or was that just like a movie trope? And I actually the, uh, don't know the answer. I, I have no idea, especially those beds that like folded down from the wall. The Murphy, you bed. know what I'm talking about? It's called a Murphy. A Murphy, that's bed. Murphy bed is the is the yeah yeah yeah. Like, was that a real thing or people just? <laughs> well, I like, know, like when, obviously, when, obviously, when... pull out beds is a real thing. But I mean, for. Videodrome, or was that Cronenberg? Because I, in Videodrome, James Woods, uh, Max uh, Wren. Max Wren. One of the greatest Max, names in cinematic history. Max Wren. Six fucking characters in his name. Yeah. That's what he was fucking uh, Debbie Harry on. Just to pull yeah. out. And it was in his bedroom. It wasn't, it wasn't in the living room. So at least I get it. Sorry, I'm going on a tangent here about the 80s. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, how are you getting laid by these beautiful, like insane bombshells and these pullout bets? When I first got divorced and I I moved, um, I didn't have a bed for a while. And I was sleeping on a futon. And every day when I got home, I had to fold it out. Mm. You know? Were you living in an apartment or what were you living in? No, I was living in a house with my buddies. But, um, I, uh, buddies, plural post post. Yeah. It was with two dudes. Like I had a four bedroom, horrible, four four bedroom house with like two dudes. Like, (laughs) but here's the thing when you're 30 years old in pretty good shape Mm -hmm. and like ready to go, you bring like a 21 year old back to like a house where you live with like two kind of party dudes. Oh, they're so into it. And I brought home this like bombshell redhead one time, like, you know, Mm. fucking uh, gym instructor, fucking psycho nutcase. 
And yeah, you you, you <laughs> uploaded her photo, her nudes to the Patreon. Yeah. Uh, yes, I uploaded her nudes to the Patreon. Please uh, remember to subscribe. The <laughs> DGen Cinema across all yeah. platforms. Yeah, that's the uh, fifteen dollar platform. I can <laughs> yeah, send you fifteen. Yeah, tier. <laughs> yeah, pictures of the hot redhead for twenty dollars. I'll send you pictures of the the discharge that came out of her, um... <laughs> <laughs> which I used to get for free via Snapchat. <laughs> that's why I unfollowed you for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, and then the other day I sent you a picture of my butthole with like my. Yes. little fucking thing I and i like you. edited it out because yeah, i was thinking I about you said please don't send that to me again or and something. i also said I this was... is why i unfollowed you in snapchat eight years ago <laughs> and i'll do it again <laughs> so i brought home this uh this bombshell yeah. redhead a couple times and used to have to fold out the pullout couch and had mm-hmm. real gross uh brundle fly sex with her and, <laughs> yeah you know it didn't look good um one time she took a bunch of belts and like tied me to the metal frame of the thing. Like, um, you know, like, uh, you know, I was being crucified on my fucking. Wait, that had a metal couch. frame. Yeah. It had like a metal frame, like the sides, like they pulled out and it had like these metal. Oh, frames. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like the arms were made of metal. The thing was cheap as fuck. And, um, the fucking futon like shattered basically like mm-hmm. while she was on me just like fell to the floor like freaked everyone in the house out yeah and uh i like kind of broke my ankle or something it didn't like break but something bad happened yeah and i remember having to go to my job the next day and saying like i can't walk around too much and they're like why i was like oh, i got a doctor's note and just knowing like i had to go to a hospital because I tried to have sex on a pullout couch as like a six foot three adult with yeah. like a 21 year old gym instructor, which, you know, wasn't a good look. So I've been there. We've all been there, you know, shout out in the comments below. If you've fucking been there on the pullout couch. Um, are you a futon or are you a futoff? Sound off in the comments below. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be my new, uh, <laughs> my new poll for for next week um thank sorry you for, we're way uh, off track here the, the fx yeah. the fx and um the hiv stuff um that's right. for, for being like we were so aids <laughs> we're talking about aids let's get down to the facts we're talking about we nitty gritty here yeah i uh, have never contracted hiv on my pullout couch have you ever uh banged a chick who ended up having aids later um, I will tell you this. I have banged a chick a ton of times throughout my life. A single chick that is a user that mm. now is so far gone mm-hmm. in the recent time that we had that we video chatted with each other. I'm like, oh, I just can't even. I use because she used to be hot. Yeah, she has big fake tits and she's good nice. looking. Nice, nice, nice. And nice, she can nice, really nice. fuck. And she used to be just hot. But with some track marks, and I was just like, eh, like, all right, that's like, yeah, I gotta overlook that. Okay, like, I don't love it, but like, okay. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm not going to, um, like, a '90s romance movie, Antonio Banderas, lick, lick you and kiss you on your arms. Okay, that's, that's fine. I don't give a shit. Like, that's fine. How the tits look? Tits look good. Okay, good. Okay. Face is okay. But then, mm-hmm. like, next, I mean, I haven't had sex with her in a long time, and I'm like recently we got a video chat and i was like oh i like you are 
like throw you on anyway that sounds so horrible but no i I, i've um but yeah that same chick had said to me we were supposed to meet up like a year ago and she goes well i'm just waiting now on an aids test because i found out that someone i had sex with recently yep had aids and i was like oh um yep but i'm so sick in my head i was kind of like well, let me know how the AIDS test comes back. Like you should, yeah. Uh, uh, you should go get an human AIDS test. Should just be like Brandon, delete that yes. number and just never speak to them. Oh, like, oh, I was gonna say you should probably go get tested. Is what you should do before no, you go her and I haven't had sex in, in, in her and I had in sex in recent years. You know what I mean? We've okay. sex literally in recent years. So I'm like, okay. okay, I'm talking about like our sex has been via video chat recently. So I was like, okay, okay. like I'm like, but oh, I don't know. I've had two girls tell me that. <laughs> but they are crazy people who I think are saying it in ways they just want to get like a response. Not like oh, I have horrible. AIDS, just kind of like, oh, I've been with people who might have had AIDS, and you're like, oh, that's horrible. I anyways, uh, we both have AIDS, so please, no, no, no. I got a phone you. call, same, same deal. Like I, I like. No, I'm talking to the listeners. Like, we both have AIDS, folks. Yes. So, so please, that's why Brandon please and donate, I only donate, fuck each other donate, from now on. Yeah, donate <laughs> to the Patreon, the GoFundMe, to everything we're putting money mm-hmm. into. So yeah. we do the not $30 have thirty dollar a tier month. You'll watch us fuck each other um, <laughs> on a video call because there's no one else will because we both have AIDS. So we've just yeah. been. <laughs> Yeah, we just got to pay people to jerk us off while we watch Crash. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I got a gnarly phone call one time where some girl who had banged like six months earlier was like, by the way, I contracted HIV and I have to call everybody. And I was like, fuck, man. And I had to like go to Shout out to her for making the effort to do it, though, honestly. Dude, that's the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Shout outs to me for for leaving and going to get tested because some assholes wouldn't have done that. Get tested, you fucking degenerate. I would, I would have Googled, do I have AIDS? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. No, I came back. <laughs> have you stuck your penis inside any unsavory oh, I, fucking I, I did have hula? this once. I did have this once. So I got a crazy rash on, on my back. Mm. Like a, this crazy weird like i've never had anything like this rash and it any hurt. of the hair is real coarse exactly super them? coarse yeah, yeah it, exactly yeah. it was after i was talking to a, a lab there were insect was, hairs yeah it was after i was fucking a journalist i picked up but it was in in reality honestly i had a sex bender with a girl who's been in my life for a bit who is a former stripper and a major slut like she's just telling you she's a major slut like whatever shout outs and we had, oh, she's the greatest. She's fucked. <laughs> Here's the two names. Here's the two names you're going to love. We'll say in the podcast. I won't say her name or anything, but she is fucked. Steve-O and Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we hook up and during, not during from it, like I had this rash developing and it got worse after. So I'm, it's not from her, but I'm like, oh, fuck, this is a bad rash. And I, to the point I had to take the day off work. It was when I was living in Montreal and I didn't have any health care, nothing. So I have to go to a walking clinic and it takes- Even in a, Canada? It, I'm not going to get into it, but Quebec is different than Canada. Okay, okay, so okay. I, okay. I, I'm, I'm, Quebec is a Mexico of Canada. So I'm like, I'm, you, I'm like okay, I, I'm- I'm like, so if no, if I was anywhere else, it would have been fine, but I was in Quebec. So I had to take eight hours off to wait in the walk-in clinic for eight hours to get seen. Mm. I show this doctor. And it, it was one of those where the doctor and they have the um 
the doctor doing the residency. It's like an old guy and a young guy, and the residency guy is yeah, following yeah, him. Yeah. And he's looking at this. He's like, oh, this looks really bad. And he goes, <laughs> He's looking at he your goes, cock, goes, like, oh, that's he horrible. Literally looks at, the old doctor looks at me. He goes, This is the first how he opens the conversation, Andy. He goes, Hmm. You're, is there any reason you think you have HIV? That's how we open oh. the conversation with a doctor. I start panicking. Uh, I go, I go, I don't think so. He goes, do you use intravenous drugs? I'm like, no. He's like, are you straight? He says straight, right? Not homosexual. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm straight. He goes, oh, oh, he goes, oh, you should be fine. He goes, okay, no, oh, I don't God. think it's AIDS. He goes, I don't think it's AIDS. And then he says, um, and I said, well, have sex with like really dirty women, right? And he goes, yeah. what do you mean by dirty? I go, oh, dude, I, I'm like, I fuck strippers and hookers. Those are like, this is what I fuck. Like, yeah, like $15 off the clock. a month. You can find out on the Patreon. <laughs> right. I'm like, this is what I, I'm like, he goes, oh, that's not the greatest. He goes, huh. And he looks at it, does this, it takes fucking, and he goes, oh yeah, you have shingles. <laughs> what? Shingles. What are you, a shing- sailor? You don't know what shingles is? No, you're thinking I know of what um, shingles are. You're thinking of uh, scurvy. Scurvy, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You need no, to I, suck a lime. Yeah, yeah. No, I had shingles, which is um, it's the it's the it's like chicken pox. pox. It's a chicken pox fact. But like, have you had? So you haven't had shingles? No, I had chicken pox as a kid. Yeah, but shingles, dude, excruciating pain, like horrible pain. Anyways, that was the closest. We're getting we're getting here. I want to start getting to the wrecks and shit. So, but that was the closest to me having an <laughs> HIV scare. As a, as a doctor said to me, you might have HIV. And for thirty five seconds, I thought I had HIV. Woof. So, I had yeah. a lady stick a fucking Q tip up my pee hole one time while smoking a cigarette in like a different state. Like I went to a college, uh, like um, you know where they test college kids for like mm-hmm. fucking chlamydia and the crabs and shit, and yeah. like. I was like, she's like, oh, what are you doing here, kid? And I was like, oh, and she's like, listen, you can tell me you think you got the crabs. This is what I do for a living. And she's like sucking a cigarette. And I was like, wow, this lady rules. Here's my cock and do what you will, lady. Yeah. You know, um, we were talking a lot about Videodrome before. And one of the big things that everyone remembers about Videodrome is the kind of infamous catchphrase throughout the entire thing. Long live the new flesh. Mm-hmm. Flesh being a thing that David Cronenberg, whether he's working within the horror genre or not, up until this very day, is utterly consumed by, whether it be the manipulation of it, the transmorphication, that's a word, of it with other beings such as flies and machines. Um, His recent film had a thing called a... um, it's like the inner beauty pageant and it was like best new organ or something like that, where people would like cut yeah. little flaps. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they had, they, they had spectators like looking and yeah. 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 He's become Surgery. more obsessed with flesh and yes. this movie. And in this movie, there's so many references to the word flesh. It's all by Jeff Goldblum's character who he actually says this, this is a quote. You think you woke me up about the flesh, but you only know society's straight line about the flesh. That's straight out of video drone in terms of uh, thematic really implication. Like, and and I had said this off air to you. Had you asked me before this viewing, if you'd asked me a few weeks ago, a few months ago, what Cronenberg movie says flesh the most? Video drone with a fly. I'm like, well. <laughs> Obviously, Videodrome. They say it nonstop. I'm like, I just watched Videodrome. They say it 
two times, <laughs> mm-hmm. three times, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the fly, they say it 84 times. Yeah, he says, I'm not just talking about flesh and sex. I'm talking about the penetration beyond the veil of flesh, a deep <laughs> penetrating dive into the plasma pool. Um, and it's interesting because uh, Videodrome very much has to do with what it with the future and technology coming. Mm-hmm. What is going to consume our like primordial drives you know what 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 are dgens going to get off on when technology comes and is the new flesh you know um and this is very much the merger of like you're turning into your disease almost in you know the the suspension of disbelief here is you know he's turning into this fly thing but it's also this human's flesh totally succumbing like his actual physical being and mental state succumbing completely and utterly to his degeneration of who he is as a human being and no longer human that is the new flesh in this until the very end yeah, where- beyond beyond your physical state just i it's my physical state cannot contain what I need for that next level, which is very much from beyond and kind of the most famous trope. here. It's a, horror, it's a very, very horror trope. It's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a literary trope, man. And mm-hmm. it took me uh, all the way up until now to mention this, but uh, I'll first say <laughs> David Cronenberg did adapt a previously thought to be unadaptable novel by William H. Burroughs called Naked Lunch. Similar themes, you know, what's going to come of the body when, when the drugs and the psyche are on our mind. But, what, is that uh, Wells? Uh, no, it's uh, Burroughs. That movie is about no, 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 heroin no, addiction. Actor. Oh, no, it's Peter Weller. Weller. <laughs> sorry, sorry, misspoke. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, I said Wells. Sorry, I meant Weller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out Peter Weller. Robocop yeah. fucking rules. Shakedown. Um, yeah. Yeah, Shakedown fucking rules. Um. <laughs> But no, that, that again, another thing where you can tell, again, we said like David Cronenberg is like a capital A fucking artist, not mm-hmm. just doing this smut. And you can tell this fucking guy is well-read. Like you can just tell this guy has a, um, like cultural literacy, cinematic literacy, um, literature literacy, far beyond the average person making films that almost fall into the line of blockbusters here. Again, this movie made like 35, $40 million, which is the equivalent of being like a $300 million movie nowadays Mm -hmm. on a nothing budget. Like this for lack of better words came out in the era of fucking blockbusters where every once in a while, 40, I just Googled it. It said 60 million at the box office for the fly. Jesus Christ. 1986. Yeah. It's like not that far behind like fucking Top Gun, you know, (laughs) like it's, and this movie is fucking gross and is about AIDS and (laughs) has a human fly. And is shot and is a very Toronto movie. It's Toronto. It's so Toronto. Yeah. Uh, um, But Cronenberg's, again, his, his cultural literacy is so high where, you know, I love 
uh, weird fiction and I love uh, really transgressive fiction. I always have things that kind of like blur the lines of reality and stream of conscious stuff. And just mm. you look at this movie and it has Franz Kafka and that Kafka S like lunacy all over it, where it's yep. just like essentially it's, it's how to make sense in a world that makes no sense kind of stuff. You know what I mean? The stranger mm-hmm. in the strange land, but all within our own brain. Oh, David Cronenberg is, he's the fucking King, man. He's a Toronto King. Well, he's just a film King, but he also is a Toronto King. And I'd said it and I won't even get into it because we're wrapping it up here. But as a, as somebody who would live in Toronto for a bunch of, a lot of years. And I was there, I got there in 06 and I left in 2012. Uh, but then I came back afterwards, but basically that was the time. And I saw the change from, there was the, I came at the very tail end of old Toronto and became new Toronto. He mm-hmm. puts Toronto, sorry to keep saying the word, but he, he literally, he put, he is the Drake of filmmakers because he yeah, put Toronto he put on, on the fucking map. map. He really did. And, but he didn't beat you over the head with this is Toronto. Just, but he just showed it. But he, he could have done, we're going to make it look like Chicago. We're going to make it fucking New York, you know, like a, mm-hmm. like a ma- major city. Those are the two majors. Chicago mm-hmm. is, is easier to pull off because usually in film, if you're going to call it New York, you got to show New York shit. Whereas if you said, okay, we're going to make it Chicago. It's like, well, we, what are you going to show? Like, uh, like, you know, whatever. Yeah. It, 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 there's a time he's in Kensington market. If you're a Torontonian, you know, this, there's a time where he's walking down the street. He's walking down fucking young street, which is the major, major street in Toronto. And mm-hmm. they pass Zanzibar which is a strip club Sick. that is still standing today. Shout out Zanzibar. Oh, Zanzi. It's it's not a great strip club. It's Zanzi. Honestly, oh, Zanzi. Yeah, oh, Zanzi. Yeah. Zanzi is not a great strip club. It isn't the... Well, the Fillmore is the best strip club you can get to if you can get to in Toronto. Um, mm-hmm. But the with the hottest women, you're going to go to the Brass Rail, which is up young, more north, which wouldn't, I don't think, was standing then. Doesn't matter. I'm just saying, puts Toronto on display. What do we have here before we get to the Rex? What else did you want to get to? Well, I'm, I'm going to kind of segue into the Rex right now by saying the one thing that we really haven't mentioned too much, this film is based off of a short story that was originally published in Playboy in the 50s. Mm. Um, It's kind of like straightforward. It's actually from the perspective of like the Gina Davis character recanting, uh, having murdered her lover who is the scientist and telling the story. Yeah. Uh, So, Again, I'm segueing right into the Rex. That short story was then later adapted into a Vincent Price, William Castle film called The Fly, which is a famous movie. Like, that's a famous mm-hmm. monster movie. And one of the things that kind of separates The Fly when people from the rest- flock to monster movies, then. Yes, yes. And the interesting thing about The Fly, Brandon, is like most of those monster movies were shot relatively cheaply on black and white film stock, whether it have been 16 or 35, but in that kind of Academy square aspect Mm -hmm. ratio, the original Vincent price to fly was shot in Technicolor. It did give it that 
film strip. Oh no, it wasn't Technicolor. It was it was two two tone. It was two strip, but still, mm-hmm. like it was shot in color, which gave it. Again, it's not like a prestigious movie, but it gave it a little like elevated prestige to it. You know, all the sequels to The Fly, there were two or three, like Son of the Fly and shit. Those were all in black and white. But The Fly, especially that last image of the guy in the the uh, spider web with the like, hurt me. Hurt yeah, yeah, yeah. Me. That's, that, that's, that's a fa- super famous thing. <laughs> stupid famous, stupid famous. So this is legit a remake of a pretty famous B monster movie from the fifties. And again, segueing right into the Rex with that in mind, if you're looking for B monster movies from that era that were then later remade by people who were like partial to those things and especially partial to the subject matter being told there, but now they're capable of saying it in a much more transgressive, harder you know, less rounded, just straight at you kind of fashion. The granddaddy of these, and I think this is on both of our wrecks, is obviously John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm-hmm. 1984? A2? Jesus Christ, 1982. A2? Yeah, okay. sorry. <laughs> 82? Yeah, 1982. Same year as E.T., right? 1982, the same year as fucking E.T. And when it came out, everybody fucking loved every A.T., and they flocked to it. And even Ebert was like, fuck the thing. Everybody said, fuck the thing. And we were mm-hmm. looking 40 years later and everybody looked back. Anybody in film, we're not talking genre film motherfuckers like us. We're talking film motherfuckers. Everybody mm-hmm. in film looks back and they said, we fucked up. The thing is one of the greatest American movies ever made. Yeah. And it is the greatest uh, remake ever made, clearly. So, a thousand percent, man. Sorry. And Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> but the thing from another world, that was another. Yeah. Yes. Like that was another kind of big movie along the lines of, you know, the Vincent Price movies and, and things along those lines. Um, so the thing is the obvious one, the one that I kind of want to like give a special shout out to um, was from a director who we are inevitably going to cover. It's just kind of one, when Brandon's going to grow a pair and watch one of these movies at three in the morning when I'm watching it. Uh, and to when we're mentally prepared to watch one of these films. Um, but Abel Ferreira in 1993, he did a remake of um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, just called Body Snatchers, which isn't like great. Um, it was kind of like a financial failure. It made uh, less than half a million dollars on a $13 million budget. No. Um, I, I yeah. saw, like, I rented that movie when it first came out, too. Like, you a thousand percent remember the cover because it's like a hot girl, but her head's getting like split. Yeah. With, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's it's a, one of those great covers that makes it look like it was um, like a regular, degular kind of like, what were movies like? Like The Prophecy or you know, kind of those like early nineties, new line kind of horror movies. Like it, it looks like one of those, um, but it's oh, not, it's it able- stars Forrest Whitaker and Meg Tilly. Yeah, it does. With when the Meg screenplay Tilly, by, I mean, I mean, like now you might think of Meg Tilly. You're like, Oh, that's um, what's your sister's name? Meg Tilly. I don't know. You think of fucking Bride of Chucky and shit. 
No, no, no. Jennifer Tilly is Bride of Chucky. That's what oh, I'm saying. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. That's, yeah. that's my point. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. Thinking, you're thinking of like Meg Tilly was a was a was a big name. She was in um, the Big Chill and mm-hmm. Two Jakes, which, well, whatever. Anyways, let's. Yeah, get, you let's, like that movie a lot. Yeah, let, let, yeah. Let's. What a, Screenplay sorry. though by the great Stuart Gordon, um, which is mm-hmm. kind of interesting because we just covered a Stuart Gordon movie last yeah. week with with From Beyond. Um, and Nicholas St. John, who also wrote like Miss 45, The Driller Killer, Addiction, fucking King of New York. That was kind of like Ferreira's mm-hmm. guy. So, you know, right after his kind of like, I think his commercial peak, which was uh, King of New York, Ferreira, where Hollywood finally kind of came knocking, where, you know, they never did that with... um Jim Jarmusch, they never did it with Abel Ferreira, but for like a little while, they like ventured into like, maybe these guys, much like Cronenberg, you know, will be able to like break into the main. And okay, then they I'm, saw bodies trying to keep it moving for the yeah. sake of lev- not, not levity, just to, just to brevity. Keep it sh- brevity. Sorry. I'm trying to keep it moving for the sh- sake of brevity. They did that with Disney did that where they handed over the reins to the first three Star Wars to all these fucking filmmakers with the uh, Ryan Johnson, uh, Gareth Edwards and whatever. And it just, and you know what? They came through it and they just said, oh, we kind of, whatever. Like they always come through the end. Even though those guys, they always land on their feet because they're just super talented. But yes, um, but Hollywood now though has a higher tendency to give, that happens a lot more recently with the Colin Trevorrow's and the Ryan Johnson's of the world, but Mm -hmm. Hollywood has like a harder stranglehold over them where it's not a Colin Trevorrow movie. It's, it's, it's a fucking star Wars movie that he's our working guy. You're right. It is more so now, definitely, but it's always been the case. They're always been intervening. That's not new. Um, Sure. So keep these moving and let's wrap it up here. Uh, mine is my next, my first wreck is American werewolf in London because it's somebody who it's a horror movie, but although the tone is totally different, but it's somebody who is changing and they don't, they want to, and they fell in love at the same time that they're changing. And also Mm -hmm. the star of that movie is Rick Baker's werewolf effects. Thousand percent. Thousand fucking percent. My well, mine is my my next rec is almost identical to yours, but in a very different realm, mm-hmm. uh, which is Tetsuo the Iron Man, a Japanese movie from yeah. the uh, the late eighties. That it's it's definitely more surreal. It falls more in line with early David Lynch stuff than it does with The Fly, mm-hmm. but it's the uh, transmorphing of a human being into the metal and the machinery around them to a device. Yeah. And it is so gross and gnarly. And I don't know how those special effects exist. Like it doesn't make any sense when you're watching it. 89. 89. Yeah. 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 89. Yeah. But very compared to David Cronenberg, David Lynch, Sam Raimi guys in those veins. And you watch that movie and you're like, how the fuck Mm. did they do this without killing a human being? It's so fucking gross. Hard movie to watch. My next wreck, and there's nothing about it, and I'm just doing this, and it's a shout-out to Toronto, is Silent Partner, 1978, starring um, Elliot <laughs> Gould. Yeah. And he's – and uh, what's the what's – fuck, I got to look it up. It's Elliot Gould and Christopher Plummer. And Christopher Plummer yeah. is a cross-dressing bank robber. And it takes place in old Toronto, 
and it has nothing. There's the only relation to the fly is old Toronto and it wonderfully, and it just has two, a one, two insanely talented leads making a Canadian film that is as Toronto as it gets. And it has no wow. business being as Toronto as it gets. And that's it. So like, if you are, I want to see when you watch the fly or video drone, you go, Oh, in the background, if you're somebody who cares, if you're geeky enough, and if you're listening to this, you likely are check out silent partner. Wow. I, um, my, my, this might sound left field, but the only other film really to deal with insect politics as much as this is A Bug's Life, the Pixar movie. No. <laughs> <laughs> in 1980, a filmmaker who had been working in mid to large budget films at various points in time, almost like the British kind of Pasolini, I kind mm-hmm. of think of him sometimes, was Ken Russell. Um, very controversial guy. Uh, the devils was a very controversial movie. He made a movie in 1980 called altered States where a scientist, um, Patty, Patty on the screenplay. Really? Yeah. The guy behind. Oh yeah. Chayefsky. Wow. Wow. I didn't even remember that. Holy shit. Yeah. And a great movie called hospital with George C. Scott that I really like. Um, but no, William Hurt, I think it's his first film, essentially does various psychological experiments on himself, on his own will, but instead of like the sake of, you know, physics and, and physical sciences, it's for mental sciences. And he puts himself within these sleep deprivation tanks on various substances and eventually like loses his mind to... Mm-hmm his own experiments. Um, it's a gross movie. It's, it's a, to say trippy is kind of an understatement. I think altered States is one of the great, you know, stoner armchair philosopher movies of all time, you know, where it's just so trippy. It's so trippy. It, really and it reminds me yeah. so much of being in college and, liking that shit so much you know the armchair college dorm philosopher kind of bullshit um but again similar theme in terms of a a scientist who's willing to subject themselves themselves to these kind of morally ambiguous ways and eventually loses himself completely to it yeah what is the um well i'm gonna do this so i well i'll give you the option here Choose your own sure. adventure. I can either do a horror, a horror wreck or a romance wreck. Well, this is spooky sleazing, which we haven't said so far. Trademark, pen, pen. Yes. Um, so for the the prosperity of the spooky sleazing, for your final wreck, this, I don't have any more wrecks. Let's no, give, give me the one. horror wreck. Oh, The Ring. And oh. I mean, The American The Ring. Because, and, and only in this sense... By the way, I am a huge fan of The Ring. I saw it in theater. It fucking knocked my socks off when I seen it. I saw it before Ringu. Yes, I did. I have seen Ring have seen Ringu because I obviously am that geeky. Yeah. Um it's just it's the same thing as American Werewolf. It's somebody who knows the time is ticking and things mm-hmm. are getting worse. And they're there, although in the ring, they're trying to stop it. And in the fly, he's not trying to stop it. 
but I just like it. I like it when you just know, oh, just that is a great horror trope. They go, oh, by the way, you're just going to die. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, what can I do? Oh, nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> and you're like, and then I love in horror. They go, oh, I love when they do that. Then we solved it. We're good. We're not going to die. And then the final reveal is, oh, sorry. You're gonna die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, the rug that. has been flipped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, even though you go, ah, oh, and the, and the music gets all nice and angelic and it's soft, and he goes, ah, oh, I guess we're, I guess they survived it. And then the very end, they just say, oh, by the way, you can't survive it. And at the ring, in the ring, they just, they, they, they kill the husband. Not the husband. Sorry, mm. the the baby daddy. You know, yeah, his, yeah, yeah. Her ex, Naomi Watts' ex, and he dies. And they go, well, fuck. I thought we solved it. And then the kid says, what? Solve it. He goes, no, 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 no. He says, she never sleeps. Like, like she yeah. can't, she won't ever, ever stop. Mm. And that's, and then they end the movie with, okay, they have, they print another cassette and they're just going to show somebody else because it's, it's, they have to keep it moving. Were you a fan of It Follows when that came out a few years ago? Just kind of on that kind of I was subject? lukewarm on it. I want to wrap things up here, but I was lukewarm on it. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I was come around of- because it's, it was literally filmed in areas where i grew up in detroit uh mm-hmm. in, the, in the suburbs just outside of detroit in um basically from like 10 to 12 mile and so i it's wonderfully shot i mm-hmm. didn't scare me at all like people said it was no. terrifying it didn't scare me at all but i'm a Good fan tension of the though uh the tone and everything i'm more of a fan of same, same, absolutely. Same no. tone. And that's something similar just when you're on the topic of Ringu and Ring where it's like, definitely. Yeah. You, you can't escape this thing because it's always yeah. going to come back to you. And I just thought that's a brilliant trope for horror. Like just absolutely. Cause that's a fear of fucking fears. The pumpkin spice is flowing. The leaves are crisp. The air is cooling. And spooky season will be wrapped up next week while we talk about a new movie. We've uh haven't done this yet, but the uh hard hit question mark of the summer, uh, even though it wasn't, it came out the same time as Barbie and Oppenheimer, but it did pretty well. Talk to me. Our first A24 film. Very excited because not only do we get to talk more horror and a brand new film that I don't even have an opinion necessarily on yet, uh, but we will get to talk about A24 and what that has done for the business while we wrap up the spooky sleaze. And please remember to subscribe in the comments. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to us in the comments, all social media handles at DGen cinema, reach out to us at DGen cinema podcast at gmail.com. And please, whatever podcast provider you are listening to this on, please remember to follow rate keep listening we can't understate how fucking crazy it is that people are actually fucking listening to this thing it's insane to me um because and this we year you. we love you and that's we it. love you we yeah, love you because it's a podcast for fucked up movie lovers <laughs>